Okay. Welcome back to the program. A little bit of a mix up there, but that's okay. We're, you know, we're working remotely at the moment. These things are to be anticipated. What we know is that we'll be very accurate when we talk football with Daniel Garb, a respected football commentator. He's on the line. G'day, Garby. Oh, <laughs> if we hear from him, I'm sure whatever he says is going to be accurate. Uh, uh, we might check that. I'm a fan of the way that you roll with the punches, Jimmy. Uh, says crime scene. Well, I want to know this crime scene uh, before we get Daniel Garb back on. Um, I want to know who are you? What, why would you call yourself crime scene as a tech? Hey, mate, we'll try again. Sorry about that. I'll put you through. That's the interesting part about it. So, uh, anyway, um, you might, I know you ran second in the 2009 Melbourne Cup. We all remember that because the horse first across the line was shocking. And the second horse was crime scene. And it all sort of made sense. Uh, it's all going to make sense with Daniel Garb. I think he's there now. G'day, Garby. Hello, Jimmy. How are you going, mate? Oh, I'm really well. Thank you for hanging in there. Third time's a charm on that one. Uh, well done. Maybe it was third, fourth, fifth time that we've looked at a restructuring <laughs> as uh, Australian football. But we've got it now. An announcement that national second tier competition will come into play. Eight teams have been announced. They think there might be another two or another four. Overall, mate, what's your thoughts on the concept of second-tier football for Australia? Well, the concept makes sense. It's a landmark development, and uh, it's certainly one that's encouraging. I think it's still a, well, it is still a long way away from the end game that everyone wants, and that is promotion and relegation in Australian football between uh, the A-League and the next tier down. So that's other clubs, which were foundation football clubs in this country, um, that helped start the game really in Australia, can get the chance to play in the A-League as well. But uh, we're a fair way away from that because the league in the National Second Division needs to be financially viable to support teams from the A-League going down if they are relegated. And we're a way off from that. But this is an important step uh, to start that process and also, I think, to, uh, to boost the prestige of some very famous football clubs, the likes of South Melbourne, the likes of Sydney United and so many others who produced so many great players and had such an impact on not only football in Australia, but the country, really, when you consider uh, the immigrants that have come into Australia from all different parts of Europe and the way in which those football clubs helped lay the platform for them uh, when arriving in Australia. And they deserve to be on the bigger stage and they deserve to have more prestige and the chance to build their finances because a lot of them have been uh, battling as a result. So it's an important step in that regard, um, but there's a lot of work to do, I think, to stabilise it financially uh, so that uh, we can have the ultimate end game, which is promotion and relegation. Where do you think they'll stop? Is it going to be 10 teams? Is it going to be 12 teams? Do we anticipate teams outside of Victoria and New South Wales? Yeah, we do. And I guess that's a big talking point from the announcement yesterday. There are only Victorian and New South Wales teams. Uh, a big yeah. part of that is because of a dispute with Queensland over the, uh, the teams from, from Queensland coming into the National Second Division initially. But hopefully that changes in time. Uh, teams from Western Australia and South Australia, there are travel costs initially, I think, which are prohibitive. But I don't think it'll be long if everything is set up in the way in which they like. And crucially, uh, the broadcast deal... Uh, is uh, set up so that it can support the National Second Division before we have teams from those states as part of it as well, that we can expand and uh, and grow what is uh, an exciting concept. 
That's a really interesting part of this that, that I read uh, during the course of the release from, from yesterday, and that was that James Johnson was talking about this second-tier competition and whether it's 10 or 12 teams and that it's going to be a quote-unquote pivotal feature to the media rights deal. So all bundled mm. into that is A-League men, A-League women, second-tier football, uh, 2027 Women's World Cup, other Matildas games, other Socceroos games, and Australia Cup. And when I look at it from that point of view, Garby, I think, oh, that becomes a more compelling offering, I think, with the second-tier football. So I totally understand why they're doing it. Yeah, and they've got a, a strong bargaining position right now because of the power of the Socceroos and the Matildas. I mean, the Matildas yep. in particular, as we know, are a ratings juggernaut. And when they play in Australia, they're an extremely lucrative commodity uh, for television broadcasters. The Socceroos in a very similar vein. So yep. we dare say there are likely to be numerous networks who are looking at those rights and, and keen to pay what will probably be a, a landmark fee for them. Now, they won't be paying, of course, for the National Second Division. Of course, they're after the Socceroos and the Matildas. But if you bundle that in with it, all of a sudden you are hopefully providing a platform for the National Second Division to be broadcast in the manner that it should be. But crucially, finances to go into that league off the back of the Socceroos and the Matildas broadcast rights fee. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you what's really interesting, and, and you might know more than I, but my research suggests that they're still up for grabs, the 2027 Women's World Cup venue. So my understanding is that it's South Africa, it's Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, uh, or Brazil, or USA and Mexico. So for us, for a time zone point of view, we've just seen it with the Cricket World Cup. The India time zone works so well for Australian TV audiences. That's going to be crucial as to what that 2027 Women's World Cup might be worth. For sure. Um, the World Cup fees are done separately, though, to your standard World Cup qualifier or, or friendly matches for the Socceroos and Matildas. They're a completely separate fee um, off the back of, of the normal fixtures as well. So, yeah, that'll be another cash injection for Football Australia, and that is always dependent on the time zone. And if it's a good time zone, well, you can expect a, a princely sum considering the popularity of the Matildas uh, moving forward. Of those four, what is the best option? I'm looking at that and probably saying, uh, well, USA, Mexico and, and Brazil probably on the same timelines, but um, they'd be the two favourites, wouldn't they, for, for us from a time zone point of view? You would think so. Europe is, is pretty prohibitive throughout yeah. the middle part of the year. We know that. Um, but North America is not that bad. It's a lot of early morning games. You know, it's not prime time at night. Asia would be the ideal scenario in that sense, but that doesn't seem like it's, a, it's an option for the next World Cup. So you'd think South America or North America would be the winner from an Aussie point of view, and that's where the next Men's World Cup is going to be held as well in 2026 in uh, yeah. USA, Canada, and Mexico. So that's going to be a, a pretty handy time zone, I think, for Australian fans. It'll be a lot of early morning to midday games like we've grown accustomed to with the NBA and the NFL. I was just going to say, uh, score update, 7 all Philadelphia Eagles and Kansas City Chiefs, and that's how we follow the NFL in this country. Uh, you mentioned the Socceroos. Uh, you mentioned the World Cup. They've got to get there yet. They've got another qualifier. That's early tomorrow morning against Palestine. It's in Kuwait. We understand why that is the case. Is this a danger game at all for the Socceroos, Garby? No, I wouldn't have thought so. Phase one games generally aren't. Sometimes away from home, they can be tricky because of uh, the pitch and, and the, the culture and the climate and so on. Um, but I've had a look at the vision that's come through from Kuwait and the pitch looks 
pretty much up to standards. So Australia should be able to have the game on their own terms. And obviously there won't be an, in, an intimidating a crowd against Australia because of the neutral venue. It's an emotionally charged fixture. Uh, there is so much sensitivity around it because of what's going yep. on in, in that region right now. And, uh, you know, Australia will do their best and they have done with a donation of match fees to, uh, to respect that. At the same time, they've got a job to do, and I'm sure they'll be too strong for Palestine. We played them in the 2019 Asian Cup and uh, and beat them uh, quite easily, so it should be the same again. And it'll just be uh, about gathering momentum for the Socceroos, getting through Phase One with one eye as well to uh, to January's Asian Cup, which is also important. A-League men's, A-League women's uh, kicking off in earnest, uh, and we're a few games into the season now. How have you assessed? First of all, the, the standard of play, Garby, and then the, the overall response to this year's A-League seasons. The standard is good. It improves all the time. I think one of the more eye-catching aspects of the A-League men's at the moment is the young talent that's coming through. And that's been the story for a couple of seasons now. I think we know that the days of, of big-name superstar marquees are, are long gone. But the, you know, the next best thing, I think, for fans is watching young Aussies with top-level talent coming through. And, and we've seen that in recent years. And obviously, Nestoria and Kunda is the headline act in, in that sense this season. He's off to Bayern Munich, but we still got him for the rest of the campaign. But there are so many others that are coming through and uh, an exciting fan. So I think that is something to watch out for. Obviously, in the A-League women's, it's the same with uh, some of our Matildas. Not many. Most of them play abroad, of course, but some of our Matildas. Yep. And running around in the A-League women, which is great. But it's the derby this weekend, Wanderers against Sydney FC, and I think that's going to be hugely exciting because Western Sydney have started the season in a, a pretty solid fashion. They look like a genuine contender. We know Sydney FC started horribly. Steve Corrick has made, made way, but what a response in the first game under Upal Tullai before the international break, winning 5-1 away yeah. against Adelaide, and that has set things up superbly for the derby on Saturday night. Uh, Nestory Irukundu will be in action against Western United. That's on Sunday. But as you say, um, so that's going to be a beauty. That's at Allianz Stadium too. Sydney FC up against the Western Sydney Wanderers. So big chance to get a, a great crowd out there for that one. There's the other match as well prior to that. The Central Coast Mariners and the Newcastle Jets. Always a great rivalry associated with that one as well. So some excellent footy coming up in the men's A-League. Garby, as always, great to chat, mate. Appreciate your insights. We'll do it again shortly. Thanks, Jimmy. All the best, mate. Daniel Garb there. He is a very respected football commentator across the A-League. Um, he's done a numerous World Cup campaigns. I've watched him report from all over the globe when it comes to following the Socceroos. Keep the text messages coming in. 0457 736 736. Uncle Will on the Northern Beaches. You sent a text through, but it was sort of cut off. I don't know why. And it said something about his autobiography a year later that Steve Waugh will become a great Australian cricketer. Who did? Uncle Will. That one, it's just sort of cut off. And I don't know why, but uh, there you go. Shocking crime scene. I'll never forget that exacto, Jimmy. Says 554. I know. I, I'll never forget it either. Um, didn't Arthur Beaton declare Queensland could win eight series in a row? Ooh. That's our talk topic for today, predictions. So I don't know whether Arthur did that. Um, I don't think there's many Queenslanders that come out any year and say, yeah, I don't think we can win the origin this year. Just going to be too tough. This New South Wales side, ah, they really play with a great spirit, don't they? So, yeah, I don't like our chances this year. So anyway, uh, we'll wait and see on that one. Crime Scene's given us a, 
and understanding of why he's called crime scene. Apparently, my fashion sense and general tidiness gave my wife the idea to label me as a bit of a crime scene, and I just ran with it. Uh, you roll with the punches too, by the looks of it, crime scene. So thank you very much for that one. Now, Mike is saying this. Uh, read my Bob Hawke memories, and can I say, any radio commentator that doesn't read out my text is a bum. Yes, you can say that. Um, I recall Bob Hawke declaring no child living in poverty. I think one comedian, Jerry Connolly's alter ego character, Sir Joe Bioccupedison, might have misheard Bob. It came out as no child will be living in Proserpine <laughs> by 1990. Great to see Hawkey spend his last day with the form guide, a cigar and a beer. Yeah, he, uh, he certainly did revert to type, didn't he? I think... He was renowned as a great drinker during the course of his presidency of the ACTU, but he gave up alcohol to become Prime Minister of Australia when he wrestled um, Bill Hayden back in 1983. Uh, this one coming in from Eels Muzz. Hi, Jimmy. The post-shit-fight interviews. Not sure. Can we say that? Can we say that, Coach K? Yes, we can say that. Uh, the uh, post-shit-fight interviews with Hamish McLennan are ridiculous. Please, just go away, Hamish. See you, mate. All the best, but please, shh. We hardly heard from him prior. I think Joseph Swalee is a victim of the business of sport and has been poorly advised. There's a lot of people, Eels Muzz, that would suggest if you're getting paid $1.6 million a year and it's going to be over three years and it's probably twice what you could have got in the other code, I think the advice was okay. If, you, if you're Joseph and his family, I think you probably think, well, that advice, that was okay. Um, he is best to get a couple more years in the NRL to bolster his confidence. He's just turned 20. Yeah, he'll have another year in the NRL, we think. We think. So um, there, there you go. Um, I don't agree with you on that one. Uh, now, Brett, who he and I are a little bit head-to-head yesterday, weren't we? Uh, Brett, uh, there was all sorts of accusations about who may or may not resemble a pelican, but here he is. Hello, Jimmy. Blues played admirably for a third-tier side. Now, we're talking about the cricket side, obviously. Um, predictions. Heard Jimmy is backing the Blues to run last. Yeah. <laughs> I think they'd be very short for that one. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uncle Will said, oh, Imran Khan, when playing, uh, now it's come through and it's full. When playing a season for New South Wales in the Sheffield Shield, played with a young Steve Waugh in his first year of first-class cricket. Imran wrote in his autobiography a year later that Steve Waugh will become a great of Australian cricket. Good on you, Uncle Will. Thanks. For... So there you go. It's not just any old Joe Blow. It's Imran Khan that was saying that. So keep those coming in. Uh, Roosterman saying, because we talked earlier about J.A. was talking about or. Oh, you know, the Simpsons and how they predict things in their programming. One was Donald Trump to be president of the United States. Another was the pandemic. So, Jimmy, when you're bored, Google Simpsons predictions. And is J.A. doing the summer show with you guys? You're great fun together, uh, Rooster Man. No, I think J.A. is doing some summer shows, but she specifically asked that I not be involved with that. So uh, I don't think we will be doing any programming over the course of summer. But uh, there you go. Thank you, Rooster Man, on that one. And then DK11, as we say, sort of looks at the world in a different way. Said, Jim, hope Matt Moylan returns the dinner suit he played in before he <laughs> departs to the old dart. You know what, DK11, having played over in the UK, I would suggest that Matt should take his dinner suit with him 
because uh, you just never know. All right, keep the text coming in. 0457 736 736. After the news, we're back with Afternoons Amplified.